Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. All right, I know you want to get to the podcast, so I'm going to keep this short. Opera Box Score needs your donation to retain its title as America's talk radio show about opera. You can give on our website, operaboxscore.com slash donate. When you throw even 10 bucks our way, it helps us promote the show to more listeners. Just 20 bucks helps cover our website costs. Chip in 50 bucks and we can pay to wax Tobias's back. But for real, please consider a donation of any amount to help us continue to bring you our hot takes on everything opera-related. Operaboxscore.com slash donate. Enjoy the podcast. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. Wherever you are, however you're listening, welcome to America's talk radio show about opera, period. I'm your host, George Cedarquist, joined this week by creative consultant Oliver Camacho and co-host Matt Cummings. We're live on WNUR-FM, Evanston, Chicago, 847-866-WNUR is our number in studio. You can call us on air. You can get your opera voice heard. What's your opinion on what we're talking about tonight? 847-866-9687. You can also tweet us at Opera Box Score. All right, tonight Oliver returns from a father-son doubleheader of sorts at the Ravinia Festival to play Monday evening quarterback. If you went to the show, you can call us, 847-866-9687. Cummings offers up a father-son pop quiz. Watch me take Oliver down and make him cry. Plus 9.40 p.m. two-minute drill, everything you need to know from the past week in Operaland, plus our team's hot takes on those stories. Oliver Camacho, great to have you back. So the reason why I came back is because uh, there were so many falsehoods uh, in the last episode. I don't even remember them anymore, but I just remember listening to the podcast version of the show and wanting to throw my phone across the room. So Excellent. Those of you who feel that way, uh, our dear listeners, please feel free to uh, send George uh, an email or comment on our Facebook posts and follow us on Facebook and subscribe to the podcast, obviously. It's the best way to stay in touch with us. I love it when you're angry, Oliver. <laughs> Matt Cummings, what's up? None of them were me, right? I don't know. I just uh-huh. It was so frustrating. I was like... <laughs> Oh, the bear! The Bears are already zero and two from um, preseason football. Cubs leading the NL Central by three games. Their Cubs are doing what they do best. Is that like August push towards glory? I wonder if they're going to be able to. Uh, Did Anthony Rizzo get married? I don't believe so. Oh, okay, good. No, still on the market. Okay, you still got your hopes up. There. <laughs> yes. Oh, do you thought you might be invited? Or? Nothing. I just like you know to be the groom. So I make sure there's some chance left there. So. Let's talk some opera. Pass or fail, here's Monday Evening Quarterback. Oliver Camacho was at Ravinia, well, actually, before the show tonight. Yeah, so uh, there's a lot of activity happening in the vocal arts right now uh, at Ravinia Festival, and it's actually starting to wind down, but um, last week there was uh, three, in fact, concerts that were um, would have been interesting to anybody who's following, you know, the opera world, the opera community. 
Uh, there was a dual recital of Thomas Hampson and his nephew, or his, his son-in-law, his nephew. They're the same word in Italian. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Luca Pizzaroni. And then a couple days later, uh, Nadine Sierra and Michael Fabiano gave a recital. Both of these recitals were with pianist Kevin Murphy. And then on Saturday, the day after the Nadine Sierra and Michael Fabiano recital, um, Brian E. Mel was supposed to sing... Uh, excerpts from Lucia de Lammermoor with Nadine Sierra. Uh, Brian e. Mel was filling in for my, Matthew Polanzani, who's withdrawn from a bunch of things this summer. And Brian e. Mel uh, canceled. And so they made a late announcement on a f- Saturday afternoon that Michael Fabiano was going to be stepping in for Brian e. Mel, uh, making really his debut with Chicago Symphony Orchestra. And really this whole week has been like Michael Fabiano's you know, debut in the Chicago area. And I was so looking forward to hearing him sing, and we'll get to that. But yeah. let me rewind back to uh, the Luca Pizzaroni and Thomas Hampson recital, which was titled "No Bear, No No Tenors Allowed," which seems to be a rehash of a program that Hampson did with Samuel Ramey back when I was a youngin, when you were barely born, Matthew. Yeah, we, we, we looked at, we looked it up, and that was a lot more duets than than were featured on this recital, which. Uh, had had them singing greatest hits arias from Mozart operas and Verdi opera, uh, a little bit of Verdi, and then uh, and ended up the uh, a long duet from Don Carlo, and then uh, finished up the evening with some some great American songbook Cole Porter kind of standards to you know lighten the mood. No tenors allowed. I, no tenors that, allowed. That is like the least funny name I think I've ever heard for a program. I, that just it sounds like it's trying too hard. Well, at any rate. Um, Luca Pizzaroni, I think, remains one of the model buffo Italian bass baritones. Um, there is a tradition of this. Uh, he's not the only one, but I feel like in 2018, uh, he's the guy. I mean, his timing is so great. He's such he's so fun to watch uh, on stage. He's very dynamic and like it feels very commedia dell'arte. Uh, he really excelled in um, Leporello's catalog aria and uh, in the encore they did, which was the duet of uh, Don Pasquale and Malatesta. And Malatesta. And he was funny in something else, I forget. Um, the, they, they were pretty funny in that anything you can do, oh, yeah. I can do better. Hang, exactly. You know, playing around with the audience. Except ah, Pizzeroni okay. has like a very thick Italian accent. <laughs> <laughs> Made it even funnier, right? Yeah. But as far as like great singing goes... Um, I don't know. I was like looking around the audience and it was not really well attended. And I was very disappointed uh, before the concert began to think that here is like one of the great American baritones like ever. Mm. And, you know, a very current bass baritone, very handsome, by the way, bass baritone. Why aren't there more people here? And then the concert kind of happened and I started thinking, well, maybe they know better than I do. I mean, not to say that I didn't enjoy myself. I did enjoy myself. But um, Thomas Hampson is not um, optimal anymore. Like, you know, his singing is not optimal. So this you know? looked really good on paper, but it, when, it, when it actually came down to it in the room, it just it didn't have that sizzle? I mean, Thomas Hampson was having some problems, and I know that they're touring this program, so it's not the first time that he's had to sing it. Mm-hmm. Um, just as an example of how things were going, um, after the intermission, um, they just skipped right over... Uh, Thomas Hampson scheduled aria from Macbeth and went went right to La Columnia, okay. uh, which was uh, Luca Pizzaroni's uh, other aria offering, and he was great. And that, that's the other aria I was he thinking was. of. Yeah, 
But um, yeah, there was there were definitely some uh, moments where uh, the tone just kind of disappeared. But Thomas Hampson was hanging on to the phrase, and he got he finished the phrase the way he intended to. But there just was no tone to back it up. And I know Thomas Hampson's singing. I've been listening to him sing forever. And he's such an intelligent singer. And he makes very, you know, he makes choices. And he's very musical. That's what he's known for, his musicality. Yeah. Um, but it's it's just sad to see, you know, somebody not be their best. And, you know, sometimes you get these curtain, these, you know, uh, curtain announcements like oh mr hampson is not feeling well begs so he begs he begs your indulgence. <laughs> he didn't beg in our indulgence and i i kind of respect him for that you know but he did sound either under the weather or maybe he just is this is what he sounds like i don't know you know yeah yeah so did fabiano okay so a couple days later day? nadine sierra and michael fabiano um i'm a big nadine sierra fan but i was really looking forward to hearing michael fabiano sing because you know he ever since that movie the 2007 the audition, audition. You know, we got to see a glimpse of the um, Net Net Metropolitan Opera National Council Editions, and he was one of the winners that year with Jamie Barton and Amber Wagner and Angela Mead. (laughs) And Kira Duffy was an amazing year, and Alex Schrader. Um, All of them have had great careers. And Michael Fabiano sort of comes off as a little bit like neurotic. Um, and very competitive. And super competitive, hmm. but with this amazing Italianate, very old-fashioned way of singing. He sounds like a young Carreras or mm-hmm. like a Di Stefano. And I didn't know what to expect. Like, this ostensibly was going to be a recital and not like an opera arias concert. And they did not print the program. Uh, they did not get the program to Ravinia in time to print it in the program book. And so they had this handout. Yeah. And even the handout was wrong. The handout wow. was adjusted at the last minute. So if you, depending on which handout you got, you don't know what you were going to be listening to. The whole thing feels very last minute. Uh, it just feels to me like two opera singers that are trying to figure out what they can put on a program together and not be ridiculous. And Nadine right. Sierra has this extensive uh, art song repertoire, but it seems that Michael Fleming would. Papiano doesn't, you know. Okay. And the concert was supposed to be celebrating Leonard Bernstein. And there was, in fact, some Leonard Bernstein in it, but it was mostly sung by Nadine Sierra. Uh, Michael Fabiano sang uh, Du Park songs to start the program. Uh, they, uh, he sang Upset of Barber, which was a surprise to me. Uh, and then they just did like opera arias and duets. And stuff okay. Like that. And uh, Michael Fabiano starts the program singing three Du Park songs. And I he was hollering them like huh. I mean Duparc is one of my favorite song composers but it's also a composer that opera singers love you yeah. know because like they're you, very you get to take your voice out for a spin yeah in a Duparc song in a way that you don't necessarily <laughs> in a foray song yeah and so he was just like hollering and it was so exciting and the audience the, he he took their breath away like after the first song they burst into applause because it's rare that these people who are used to hearing lots of recitals because the Steens Institute, which is like the summer art song festival there, they just do like deep, deep dives into the repertoire. Yeah, I don't think they've ever heard somebody just get out on that stage and just like yell at them. (laughs) 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 And it was thrilling. Um, And he was thrilling through a whole night, but he didn't show a lot of nuance. And he did, in fact, get a little bit tired near the end of of the performance. And Nadine Sierra, you know, was overpowered by him at huh. the beginning of the recital. But by the end of the of the performance, you could see like that she is like a class act and like she has technique for days. Yeah. And she sounded as fresh as a daisy yeah, at the end yeah. of the performance. And um, hmm. she was 
she was great. And I have to say that she's like my new hero. I've, I've enjoyed her singing, but she took a couple opportunities to talk to the audience. Uh, before she began the Bernstein set, she acknowledged Bernstein's centennial and talked about Bernstein politically. And, you know, there are all those quotes about Bernstein and his politics. Right. You know? And, um, yeah, she's talking about how in this time, in this political climate, how we need music, you know, to bring us together. And it was very appropriate in the audience who are a very conservative North Shore uh, Chicago audience, which said they're very affluent. Okay. You know, they were with her and they like applauded politely, you know. Yes. At the end of the performance, this was the best. Uh, so Michael Fabiano does his encore. He sings um, Maria from West Side Story. There we go. And uh, she comes up for her encore, which uh, she announces, be- before she announces what it is, she, she says to the audience that, like, opera has been, like, so fundamental to her as a person. And, you know, she heard it when she was a little girl, and she's been singing since she was, like, three or something like that. And how this was the first aria that she ever studied uh, when she was 13. And she said before she began singing that she's looking into the audience, and she is really disappointed that there aren't more people in in the Martin Theater, which holds like maybe seven hundred people okay. max. Maybe it's like five hundred. I don't know, but it's pretty small. And I was so glad she said that because that's what I think all the time when I'm there. It's like, how do you not fill this tiny space? So she You're called Nadine out Ravinia. Effing... She called them out, and in so many ways, yeah. Hmm. And wow. I have to say, like, I I, I love what Ravinia is doing this year with their programming. I love what Steens Institute has offered for all these years, bringing in really important. Uh, you know, professionals, stars of of the opera and art song community to coach these younger generation. This year, I think they really went out on a limb with the recital programming, um, bringing in Don Upshaw coming up really soon. Uh, they were going to have Frederica von Stade and Lori Rubin do a show, but Frederica von Stade um, canceled. Uh, having Nadine Sierra do this Bernstein program with a lot of Latin American music on it. Uh, today at the Steens Institute, they did a whole program dev- devoted to Spanish and Latin American music. That's so what you were listening that's to? That's what I just came or, from, yeah. 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 So I applaud what they're doing, but uh, I do think the marketing has to get yeah. better for these things. So You, you want to listen to a clip? Let's you want, hear it. You want to so, move yeah. on? What so do you want to do? The finale of the opera, of the Fabiano Sierra concert before they did their encores was the duet from I know the San Suplice scene. So here is Michael Fabiano singing the San Suplice scene from the Richard Tucker Awards, I think last year or two years ago. So a mixed bag. So that was up uh, Ravinia. Joyce El Khoury, uh from the 2014 Richard Tucker Awards with Michael Fabiano. And if you close your eyes, doesn't it sound like Jose Carreras? It, it there's a lot of that kind of yeah. hard on your sleeve kind of yeah. singing that I was really with like Carreras, open, sure. you know. Yeah. 
uh, a really in, like core, tons of core in the tone. Like you know, part like what did uh, Lansing Price say? Like the voice is like a salami, and you like cut a very thin slice, and then you're <laughs> cutting a big slice, a big chunk. You know, it's a great metaphor. Hey, thanks Oliver Camacho for the Monday evening quarterbacking. It's Opera Box Score on WNUR 89.3 FM. Matt Cummings is going to take it over from here. This is Opera Box Score with George Cedarquist, Oliver Camacho, and oh yeah, Matt Cummings. Pop quiz. Oh boy. We have not done a quiz. Have in we a heard long that sound effect before? I don't, it's been a long time since we had a quiz, and this yeah. is my first shot at making Yay. one. So be kind, everyone. And I have my computer here, so uh. I can look up the answers. <laughs> so, in opera, sudden plot twists often hit close to home, and when I say home, I'm talking about the family. Inspired by the father and son-in-law camaraderie that Oliver and I saw on stage on t- at Tuesday evening's recital, we're going to take a deep dive into the other Sopranos families that may or may not be as messed up as the mob. That's right. In tonight's quiz, we take a look inside the music as the family business and examine the many complicated relationships between opera's characters, composers, and performers. So here's how it's going to work. All right. I've got three rounds for you guys. Mm -hmm. Family matters, sound round, and a lightning round. I'll be your quiz master, and uh, I'm going to ask you questions one at a time, and all of them are going to have something to do with some sort of opera family connection. The points are split up so that you have the opportunity to be tied going into the final round. But if any of you misses your question, your opponent will have the opportunity to steal. So pay attention. Okay. Okay. You're keeping score. I am. I got it. I have hints at the ready if you need them. But in the meantime, we're going to get started. So gentlemen, to your corners. Ready. George, you're up first. Okay. For one point, what opera ends with the gypsy crying out that she has avenged her mother by tricking the Count de Luna into killing his own brother? Trevatore. That's correct. Oliver, in what opera does Cardinal Brogni discover that Rochelle is, in fact, his own daughter, just in time for her to be thrown into a vat of boiling oil? La Juive. Correct. That's Alevi for those of you keeping score at home. George, family tension sets up the stage for events in this work where a young girl manipulates her stepfather, who is also her uncle, in order to get what she wants. Susanna? Uh, there, Oliver, you want to take a crack at it? Could you say it again? A, a little bit slower. That like Family tension sets okay. up the stage for the events in this work, where a young girl manipulates her stepfather, who is also her uncle, in order to get what she wants. Oh, um, oh I know it. Johnny's Kiki. No. George? It's uh, Manon. It's Zalame. Z- <laughs> so I guess... <laughs> yeah, I... <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I just remember. I was just thinking yeah. girls manipulating that actually explains. Pretty, that's a yeah, lot of, the, the a incest lot of... coloration is maybe just the uh, Zalami specific. Yeah. yeah, that was ugly that round. Okay, Oliver. In what a, in what rustic family drama does the Kostelnichka murder her stepdaughter's child in an attempt to resolve the blu- brutal love triangle between the heroine and her two cousins? Janoshek's Yenufa. That's correct. Nice job. George, name me two characters in the ring cycle who are not related. <laughs> <laughs> this one's for two points. Um, okay. Um, uh, Mima and... Um, My hint is it's easier if you include non-human characters. <laughs> Otherwise, it's pretty tough. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, the Rhine Maidens. Yeah, well, I'll give it to you. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Oliver... 
In his final monologue, the titular character of one Wagner opera name-checks another titular character of a different Wagner opera as being his father. Name those two characters. Whoa! <laughs> All right. Um, Your hint is that one of these operas has been in the news a lot lately. From the Bayreuth Festival and some cast changes. So it's like a Parsifal Lohengrin Tannhäuser thing? Yeah. So Parsifal is Lohengrin's father. Okay. Parsifal Lohengrin. Yeah. Okay. I get a half point for that. Yeah. He that de- was like you definitely I'm going to so. give you the half point. That's, <laughs> he, why I, yeah. that's why I'm not going to let George steal it. That's, that's, that's very fair. Yeah. What is the score, by the way? You're so, actually tied at three to three. Okay. Uh, this one goes to George. Yeah. In 2016, the same singer played characters in three separate operas who were, to each other, a mother, a daughter, and the daughter's first cousin once removed. Name the composer of those operas and each of the characters. Oh, boy, my head just exploded over here at Mike 2. Can you say that one more time? So we've got one singer who's playing characters in three separate operas. Yeah. One of those characters is the other's mother, and then the daughter, and then the other one is the daughter's first cousin once removed. We're talking about a trilogy. Yes, yes. Oh, my God. God, um, I have no idea. I that is Sandra Radunovsky playing Anna Bolena, Mary Stewart, and Queen Elizabeth. Yeah, that that's that's four big ones Yikes. for all of us. Yeah. That was that was brutal. I mean, the, the 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 relationship and the one singer doing it kind of was the giveaway. Yeah. You know, I didn't know those relationships existed between those people, but yeah, you know. no credit where yeah. credit is due. That was nice, nice job. We we got one more in this round. Uh, yeah. one Holy Roman Emperor appears as a character in two different operas by the same composer, once as a young man, and another as an elderly monk who rescues his grandson. Can you name that character and both of the operas? Wow. I was going to say Nero in Agrippina and something else, but that's not true. No. In the, in the second opera, you think he's dead for most of the opera. It's kind of a twist that he comes back to life and, and like spirits the grandson away just before he's about to be executed. Is it like Priam and Trojans or something like that? Or? The uh, it, it, they're two Verdi operas. The oh. Emperor, Emperor Charles V is the baritone role in Ernani, and the same guy, <laughs> same historical figure, is also the patriarch of the Habsburg family in Don Carlo. Oh, wow. That was no way I was going to get that one. That, so. I gave you the hard one. Yeah. I gave, yeah. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you nailed some of those <laughs> earlier ones. In uh, in round two, we have some, we have some sound clips for a few. Of these. Okay, nice, nice. All right, uh, this one goes to Oliver. We're gonna switch it up. Okay. What early Romantic composer of music, such as the clip heard after I finish reading this question, was also a cousin by marriage of Mozart? Um, Weber. Yeah. Yeah. He was he, he was, was cousin of. Um, Aloisa Al- 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 Weber? Yeah, and Constanza. Constanza Weber, okay. Very good. Well, that's a point for you. George, uh, what man became Richard Wagner's father-in-law when he when Wagner married his second wife, Cosima? This when, do- Wagner, when Wagner married Cosima von Bülow. I see. And this has no audio clip. This one be- does not have an audio okay, clip. Okay, say that one more time. I was getting ready to play that clip. What... What man became Richard Richard Wagner's father-in-law when Wagner married his the daughter Cosima? Oh, um, 
I don't even know if I can Oliver, guess. do you know this? Do you know this little bit Oliver, of music Oliver, history? Oliver, is it like Zemlinsky? It's or? Franz Liszt. Liszt. Was, okay. wow. was Wagner's father-in-law. Cummings, you were really paying attention in <laughs> he music read history the Grove class. Mus- uh, dictionary. <laughs> he like, read on Grove. the bus. Yeah. He read Grove. Okay, <clears throat> boy. All right, George. Uh, that one- was that was mine. That last one was to me. You're right. Uh, uh, Oliver stole it, but he gets to go. No, I didn't steal it. No, I, I didn't get oh, it. Oh no! Wait, this, no. this next question is for Oliver. But it is for okay. Oliver. Yeah. One of the most famous sibling teams in history is George and Ira Gershwin, who collaborated on songs, musicals, and the opera Porgy and Bess. What other composer worked with his brother Modeste to adapt a work by Pushkin into a ghostly operatic masterpiece heard here? Okay, we need to break this down. So it's Russian, and you said Modessa. Mussorgsky is in my brain. But what was the clue again? Who is the composer of... of This is the composer who worked with his brother, Modeste, to create that opera, which was adapted from a work by Pushkin into a ghostly operatic masterpiece. So it's not Boris Goodenough. It's not. Okay, is it a Tchaikovsky opera? It is a Tchaikovsky opera. Uh, a ghostly one. Um, you only needed the composer. Oh, okay. But, oh, okay. but that, that's a clip from Queen of Spades. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah it sounded like Tchaikovsky, so... All right. George, yep. the patriarch of this famous singing family was not only the first person to play Alma Viva in Rossini's Barber of Seville, he was also a celebrated voice teacher whose son is credited with inventing the first laryngoscope. Do you, can you name that singer from the 1800s? I, no. Oliver for the Steel, it's Manuel Garcia. It is. And can you name his two daughters who were also... Who, who were also famous um, singers. Pauline Viardot and Isabella Colbran? Not Isabella Colbran, uh, but oh, Mar- Maria Malabran. Mar- Mar- Maria Malabran. Ah, oh, I knew it was one of those. Hmm. Man, Oliver is pouring the hurt on me right now, <laughs> dude. <laughs> what, is the, what is, do I dare ask what the score is? It's, uh, you, you got three and Oliver's got 11. Oh my God. So we've got one more before the lightning round. Oh, and we'll start this one with the clip, okay. the final. <laughs> This one was for me. <laughs> for, 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 for. So the singer awesome. heard here has dabbled in opera, as you've heard, but is more famous as an iconic actress in American musical theater. The spelling of her name isn't an accident, though. She's named after her great-great-aunt, who was which famous 19th century soprano? Uh, so I want, I want both names. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, this, is, is it Patti LuPone? It is Patti LuPone. Okay. 
Uh, but and Patty's filled with an I. Yes, the name of her mother. Oliver, you want? Do you uh, know this one? Adelina Patti. She was. She's related yeah. to Adelina Patti. Yeah, nice that, job. Coming up next, we've got our lightning round. Yes. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna play this one out. It's Opera Box War, by the way, WNUR 89.3 FM. George Cedarquist being beaten into a bloody pulp by creative consultant Oliver Camacho. <laughs> You've got room to come back if you can, yeah. if you can steal all of these. All right, so we're going to talk about the Lloyd Webber effect. Long Uh-oh. before Andrew Lloyd Webber <laughs> wrote Phantom of the Opera for his then-wife, Sarah Brightman, power couples have been a part of the musical world. <laughs> Given the name of the life partner, and in many cases, Muse, can you name that composer? George, we're going to start with you. Okay. Soprano Constanza Weber. Mozart. Yes. Oliver, soprano Anna Magdalena Vilke. Not, they're not all going to be opera, just of war. Anna Magdalena Vilke. Yeah. Bach, mm-hmm. Johann Sebastian Bach. Mm. Second wife of Johann Sebastian Bach. George, tenor, Peter Pierce. Benjamin Britten. Oliver. Thank you for being gentle. <laughs> <laughs> Composer and librettist Giancarlo Minotti. He was gay, I thought. Yeah, I said. Oh, and Benjamin oh. Britten wasn't? Okay. Uh, so he had a spouse that was a, a composer. Mm-hmm. Uh, not Samuel Barber. It is Samuel oh, Barber. Okay. He, doesn't, were married? he doesn't get a point, right? They were gay married? I said life partner. Oh, okay. Uh, George, composer Mark Adamo. Oh, um, I should know this because I've met the person. I can't remember. Oliver, can you steal this one? Mark Adamos? Yeah. Is he gay? He's married. Yeah, he is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's, yeah, he's gay. Um, Corleano. He is married to John. He's married to John Corleano. Okay. Marin Alsop officiated their wedding, tying it oh, all back together. Is she lesbian? She is. She has kind of a butch look, so. In a great way. In a really lovely <laughs> way. Oliver, soprano Isabella Colbron. Giacchino Rossini. George, yes, that's right, that's correct. Uh, George, actress Harriet Smithson. Uh, Is she was married to a man? She was. Was he English? He was not. He was American. He was not. Okay, help help a brother out. He was French, and there is. uh, He wrote a symphony about about falling in love with her and being addicted to opium and watching his own death. Debussy, George, that. That's not right. <laughs> Oliver? I'm so lost. I've just opium. And Can you repeat the clue again? Who, who was married to the actress Harriet Smithson? And that, that was a hint. That he, she was the inspiration for, for Symphonie Fantastique. Oh, Berlioz? Oh, ba- yeah. Wow. That wasn't fair. That's I'm okay. A, I, I don't need that point. That's, yeah, that was like too <laughs> much of a clue. So. <laughs> <laughs> Oliver, what about uh, soprano Pauline de Anna? Pauline de Anna. Is that a German soprano? Maybe. Her husband was. Yeah. Um, Pauline. Whose husband is it? Not Wagner. No, it's Richard Strauss. Strauss. And it was something mm. with the Oh, George, German I should have let you steal. Would you, yeah. Were you, you going to get that one? Well, yes. Okay, I'll, I'll take your word for it. <laughs> and we, we got our last one. Uh, the soprano, Giuseppina Streponi. Yeah, to- totally zero. The pony. Um, that was Verdi. That was Verdi's yeah. longtime yeah. mistress and eventual yeah. wife. Yeah. Yikes! We yikes! Got, we yikes, got George yikes. with seven and Oliver with uh, eighteen. It's so, <laughs> it's a lot. Let's do some two-minute drill. Come on. This just in the two-minute drill. 
Time now for everything you need to know from the past week in opera land. Anne Majette, chief classical music critic at the Washington Post, has offered up a field guide for, quote, everyone who sees classical music as a private club and who feels they're standing outside the clubhouse. She outlines a few points to keep in mind as readers exercise their classical muscles and seek out which area of the field feels most like home. Australian casino operator Crown Resorts has filed a lawsuit to stop the government approving developments that obstruct views from Crown Resorts' new Sydney Hotel of the landmark Sydney Opera House and Harbour Bridge. Contract obligations call for negotiations to, quote, ensure that sight lines from the Harbour Bridge to the Sydney Opera House are retained for the Crown Sydney Hotel Resort. Julianne Moore strikes a chord of romance and tension in the haunting trailer for her upcoming Paul White's directed hostage drama, Bel Canto, based on Ann Patchett's novel of the same name. The novel was also made to an opera composed by Jimmy Lopez. More movies, this one featuring flying warrior robots and guitar-toting opera singers. Hong Kong animated feature Dragon's Delusion aims to bring, break stereotypes of Chinese culture. You can watch a clip on our website on the Good Call, Bad Call page. And on this day, August 13th, it's soprano Kathleen Battle's 70th birthday. That is your two-minute drill. You're listening to Opera Box Score with George Cedarquest, Tobias Wright, Matt Cummings, Weston Williams, and Oliver the Man Camacho. That's who he is. He's sitting to my left in Studio One. We don't have so much time left in this amazing episode, but um, it is Kathleen Battle's 70th birthday, and I'd be remiss to not pay tribute to her as somebody that I've been listening to since I was a young and young and young and and, um, you know, there's many recordings of her. She's a great recording artist, but it's not always clear um, how much of her artistry is the recording or is her. But there are some great live performances. And there was a Marriage of Figaro, I think, from like 1985. Uh, I want us to listen to just a minute of, or two minutes of her singing uh, Davian on Tardar. This is live. This is Mozartian uh, phrasing par excellence creamy tone, beautiful intonation, and just so, so stylish and graceful.
So we've all heard that aria a gajillion times. And if you hear it in the context of the opera, it is extra hard because Susanna is one of the longest roles in, in the repertoire. And you have to sound that fresh and that clean uh, after singing for three hours. On top of which, um, your tone, you know, like sometimes you get frayed by that time of the night. And I just feel like if you watch that video and listen to her, like she's just so poised and the tone is so beautiful and she's doing her phrases a little bit self-indulgent. Not to listen to it without the video, but it's just exquisite, exquisite singing. And uh, yeah, it's a shame that like, you know, her career ended with the silliness of her getting fired. And we know that now yeah, that was awful. We know like in retrospect. Yeah. We know the things that were happening around the same time. And we're worried about her behavior in a limousine or, you know, whatever with the chorus, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. 70 years old. And she's still singing. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. She, her tour of uh, the, the underground railroad tour that she was on last year, people, I heard that it was and, very And Majette good. gave her a great review. Yeah. <laughs> She's not a, she doesn't give great reviews. <laughs> she doesn't rave about people. Yeah. Oliver, did you have an opinion on the Anne Majette article from well, the we, Washington Post earlier? Um, I, it's just interesting this that week. like after the whole Me Too expose, that this is like her next big thing. And she obviously was working on that too, you know? Yeah. And uh, it's just complete opposite ends. Like, you know, let's let's just take a blowtorch to this community. And now for you newcomers, here's something nice for you. What I'll say, though, is that her both the common thread in both of these articles has been raising up voices that you might not have heard before. Because even when she's talking about how to get new people who don't know, who aren't familiar with classical music, she mentions composers that I've never heard of before, people who are not dead old white men yeah. as a way to, and, you know, she is using her her microphone for good, her megaphone yeah. for good. She's, she's spreading the word of these people who deserve to be heard, both the victims of sexual assault and people whose compositions might not be programmed by a major symphony orchestra. It's like she was a forest fire and now she's like the little buds that are springing up after the ground heals. <laughs> that sounds like a Fantasia clip. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Why is Bel Canto constantly being reinvented? I haven't read the book because I don't read books. Um, I'm just surprised <laughs> that it's... 
<laughs> I, I, I read books, but I read books to my kids. Yeah. What I mean is I don't read fiction because okay. I read okay. fiction to my kids. Okay, that's enough of that. So. Why, why is this being ma- remade again? It was a book. It was an opera. Well, it was a movie. I I feel like they probably were not talking about the. You know, the, I don't think that the Hollywood studios called up Chicago Lyric Offer and said, "Why don't we don't both do Belcanto <laughs> within a couple of years of each other?" Doesn't that sound fun? I think no. I think the the book or the story lent itself well to performance, like to you know seeing an opera singer act, you know, and having music and music that is very impactful, like the Songs of the Moon is like very you know beautiful and memorable, and so. I don't think that's it hurts, and Julianne Moore is amazing. It's gonna be really weird to watch her yeah. and hear Renee Fleming's voice, just because the image of Renee Fleming yeah. is so, you know, that she's one of the more famous singers. Yeah, but I mean, so, it's a story just, about just, ter- it's a story about terrorism, though. So I understand, and that's that. very timely. So you know. just to understand, so so Renee Fleming is on the soundtrack. Is the singing voice? No, so Renee Fleming was the inspiration for the character Roxanne, whatever her name Roxanne is. Roxanne Koss. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's why when you watch the trailer on entertainment weekly or whatever it is julianne moore is basically channeling renee fleming and renee fleming is probably singing i, I, yeah. b- and, I believe it singing. was her voice yeah. Yeah. yeah i'm sure that they got together with ann patchett and worked this whole thing out so oh i'm sure and everybody's yeah. gonna make millions no <laughs> like 10 people are gonna see this movie are you kidding <laughs> it's like oscar bay type of movie which means that nobody goes to see it so but now they have the new popular category so that makes absolutely yeah. no sense yeah. as well. well. Like, popular culture and you, not necessarily your opinion on that. So. Oil and water. Is that, is that, <laughs> uh, yes. So we're going to do it. We have time for a GCBC? Yes, of okay. course. We got time for a GCBC. Good call. Bad call. On Opera Box Score. We always got time for uh, the heebie-jeebies. Good call, bad call. You want to go first, Oliver? Yeah. So, um, Marola Opera Program is winding up their season, and on um, August 18th, this coming Saturday, uh, they will all give their final performance, um, their grand finale performance, which this year is stage directed by uh, Northwestern grad Marcus Shields. So, I'm a friend of Marcus's, and I, I'm actually going out there. So, if you're out there in San Francisco, uh, hit me up. Nice. Good for you. It's a ton of fun to direct. I did it in 2013 the, when I was at Maryland. The final performance? The Maryland, it's called the Maryland Grand Finale. Yeah. You're on the stage of the War Memorial Opera House in San Francisco. San Francisco uh, Opera Orchestra Drink. is playing. <laughs> Drink, dude. That's like getting wasted. Yeah. Dropping enough names out there. Matt Cummings, what you got? I mean, just spreading the happiness that's out there in the world because there's there's not enough. But uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg was at Santa Fe over the I weekend know. and that's officiated so a wedding between the opera singer Jared Ott and his new husband Adam Franklin. So congratulations oh. to everyone! Oh, Jared involved. Ott is so gorge. <laughs> I can kill the buzz if you want. I was in New Jersey over the mm. weekend for a conference, and wow. Jersey, Jersey Shore is that the show? Jersey Girls, like that's a that's a real thing. Because yeah. I went to a bar with some friends and like the the that's waitresses your, your ba- were your bad calls just the state of New Jersey. <laughs> Yikes! Hey, that's it for this week's edition of America's Talk Radio Show about opera. The general manager at WNUR is Nick Anderson. Our announcer is Norm Waddell. Visit Norm on the web at voxershorts.com, V-O-X-E-R-S-H-O-R-T-S.com. Our theme song, Vodka Inferno is written and performed by the Diablo Swing Orchestra. On Facebook, search for Opera Box Score. Be sure to share, comment on our posts. On Twitter, we're at Opera Box Score. And please leave a review when you subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts. The creative consultant for Opera Box Score is Oliver Camacho. 
For Matt Cummings, I'm George Cedarquist asking you to continue the conversation about opera next time you're at the movies, just not during the movie, please. We're back on Monday, August 20, 9 p.m. Central. Retired Chicago Tribune classical music critic John Von Rhein joins us live by phone. Plus, opera news and hot takes. Join us. This is WNUR-FM Evanston, Chicago, Chicago's sound experiment.